like doing this i like just going straight live no intros we're on a protectors i'm with kara smith from deliver fund and we're going to talk um and like usual i say this every podcast is that we start talking about all the good stuff before we hit record so we're hitting record because kara is such an expert in this game i'm like a novice in the the, uh, domestic trafficking world i really want to know more i do know that deliver fund is out there every day tirelessly across all medium spectrums including broadcast uh, working with leos they're just all across the board trying to raise awareness on trafficking because it is truly the modern day slavery and i want to know more i need to know more and you need to know more welcome to the show hey jason thanks so much for having me i appreciate it you know, I dig your social media. Um, if you're not following <laughs> Kara the Huntress and Deliver Fund on Instagram, you are missing out. Because if you really want to know what the deal is with what these pimps and traffickers and everything out there is and how they're really victimizing and how they're recruiting and everything, follow Kara, right? Just pause, go to IG, click follow. So Kara, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your IG is full of recruiting tactics. Um, first of all, what's the difference between a pimp and the trafficker? Absolutely nothing. Pimps are human traffickers. Uh, so in the world of human trafficking, it's using a person for their forced labor, whether it be actual labor like labor trafficking or the act of labor being a sex act, right? So it's somebody that is using another human being to make money off of them through force, fraud, or coercion. Um, and if they're under the age of 18, the force, fraud, and coercion does not need to be proved. So in the world of pimping, a pimp takes what they call a prostitute and has her go sell herself. And then they take the proceeds from that act of prostitution. And then they take all of it. They take some of it. It doesn't matter. It's still an act of uh, labor. And it's an illegal act um, on that as uh, prostitution is actually illegal across the country, except for a couple small rural counties in Nevada um, at the brothels where that takes place. And so pimps create this entire lifestyle, this entire um, persona uh, where they are saying they're holding up young girls and women and helping them grow and use themselves to be empowered. And then they take all their money. Or if the, uh, the girls that they're running in what they call their stable don't bring back enough money, they withhold food, they withhold their drug addiction, they threaten them. Um, you know, so... Pimping isn't cool. As much as pop culture and the R&B culture out there would like to make it normalized and cool, like pimping and hoeing is a thing. No, it's not. It's modern day slavery. It's human trafficking. When you brought up the labor thing, that really, I never thought about that. I'm like, I'm always, I'm always differentiating between sex and labor trafficking. But if you're, if you're trafficking someone and you're selling them for sex, then you're really, that is kind of like a labor trafficking. And, uh, 
I really want to get into the sex and the kids and the ages. What are the kind of the ages that this all starts? I know we know that there are teens, but as have you seen things that have been younger where they're, Hey, they're bringing them into the game and they're, they're, they're selling them. So what do you think of um, child sex trafficking is what you're, you're, you're hitting at here. So yeah, child sex yeah. trafficking. It's actually anything under the age of 18 by legal standards, right? So um, 18 and under is considered child sex trafficking. And you hear it in social media, you hear it from nonprofits, you hear it in the media itself, child sex trafficking, child sex trafficking. It's kind of like the sensationalized buzzword to um, get people's attention on human trafficking that's going on. And so the way that children are trafficked um, predominantly here in the U.S. when they're getting trafficked, they're, they're young teens. Now, I'm going to say girls more often than I say um, boys. Uh, approximately 96% of trafficking victims are females, um, especially in the domestic sex trafficking industry. Uh, and then it's the other small percentage, which are males and gender minorities that are also trafficked. But the the predominance of domestic sex trafficking is happening to these young girls. And it starts when they're teens and they're being sold in the guise of prostitution on illicit online ad websites on the track or you could call it the blade or many think of it as the red light district where they make them walk up and down the streets. And so these child sex trafficking victims, this is where they're predominantly being trafficked. That being said, it doesn't mean that much smaller children are not being trafficked. We've seen it. We've seen three-year-olds to five-year-olds that are being trafficked, but they are usually trafficked by their own family members or people that they know um, in a very low-level kind of non-showy standpoint. Uh, backdoor deals, people that they know in common, uh, hidden message boards, um, commonalities that they find in social media and finding like-minded people who are um, into pedophilia and different things like that. But the child is trafficked by their family member for the most part. Would you uh, consider so that more ones, of, would you consider that more of like a child exploitation rather than a trafficking? Child exploitation is always trafficking. If a child is being exploited in any way, shape, or form in a sex act, it's trafficking. So um, if an adult is partaking in a sexual act with a child, it is human trafficking. Because a child does not have, under the age of 18, have a choice in the matter if they are selling themselves or not. And so therefore, they are being trafficked because they're being used in a sex act. Excellent explanation because, you know, there's so many keywords out there and so many things, like you said, there's kind of like a sensationalism about it. When you hear the word sex trafficking, you think of little kids and child and, you know, a lot of people still think of it as like, hey, you know what, the these women are coming from Slavic nations. They're in a, a Connex box. They're brought across on a ship. And then, no, um, it happens here and there, I'm sure, but it, oh, the, it totally happens, yeah. but it, it's very rare. And here in the United States, when people think human trafficking, they think of those overseas bringing them here kind of situations, because that's what Hollywood has really painted for mm-hmm. them for many, many years. Um, in reality, 80%, roughly 80% 
of human trafficking victims in the United States are U.S. citizens being trafficked by other U.S. citizens. Now, there is uh, overseas trafficking coming from uh, the outside of the U.S. being brought up through from our southern border. People come across the country. But predominantly, when you see trafficking victims come into the United States that are not American, they come in a completely legal sense. They have their visas. Everything is in order. And it's done in a way their trafficker uses that paperwork and lures them in with promise of money and the American dream, brings them in and holds that legal paperwork over their heads um, to, to be trafficked, whether it be labor or for sexual acts. And so they have an extra layer of fear and manipulation over their victims, especially when they come from overseas, which makes them much more susceptible to being trafficked. Um, we see uh, what's happening at the southern border, and there's lots of people are going, human trafficking, human trafficking. What you're actually seeing down there is human smuggling. Um, there's a stark difference between human smuggling and human trafficking. Smuggling, the person bringing a, being brought across the border, they are the ones that are requesting to come across the border. They're coming willingly. They're paying somebody to do so, and the crime being committed is being committed against the country that they're coming into because they're breaking breaking the law by coming across. Now, when they get across the border, though, human traffickers know that they are extremely susceptible to manipulation because they are here illegally. So traffickers will then use that, snatch them up, and then traffic them when they get here. So it's a different process. And then trafficking itself, the crime is against the person that's being trafficked. It's against their human rights. That makes so a heck of a lot of sense. Differentiating yeah. that is very important. And then you want to throw the child sex trafficking layer, um, the child trafficking layer on top of those being smuggled in the U.S., especially when they're unaccompanied. They are so susceptible to being manipulated by the people that, one, are smuggling them. And then once they get here, they don't have that adult to protect them. Uh, and so if they aren't caught up at border patrol uh, and even afterwards, because a lot of those children get placed, uh, they're, they're extremely susceptible to being trafficked. And it's just absolutely heartbreaking to even uh, think about, you what know, you know, uh, I'm a big, big advocate of the care of the unaccompanied migrant children. So, and if anybody's listened to my podcast or listened to anything I've done, that has been like my kind of how I got into really, trying to understand trafficking world because of the difference between smuggling and trafficking. And as soon as they get across the border, how they could be susceptible. And you know what, we're going to have a whole nother show. I want to bring you back and maybe some other people from deliver fund and talk about the unaccompanied migrant children, 250,000 since 2013 have come across a border as un unaccompanied with roughly 40% of those being under the age of 13. So, I mean, that's a lot of percentage and, you know, the rough figures are 60% or 50 to 60% go to parental or familiar relations, but the rest, you know, we, that's what we really need to have another show about. Definitely. Uh, but I get a lot of questions about if anytime I bring up uh, children and parents, every parent, every time I talk about trafficking, there's always a parent that says, oh my gosh, someone's going to drive by my house in a minivan, grab my kids, and that's it. And they're going to be, you know, uh, shuttled off to a foreign country 
to be trafficked like the movie Taken. You know, I mean, seriously, that is what people think of trafficking. Let's talk about teens and susceptibility in recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, parents out there, um, when you have a child, you're extremely protective of your child. You're always in fear of losing them in any way that they can be lost. And when it comes to human trafficking, especially in the U.S., what parents are needing to pay attention to and learn is how the grooming process starts and where they are recruited and lured from. And that is right there on your electronic devices. The the cell phone in itself is the gateway for traffickers to find their victims. You remember when we were kids and we were home alone? Remember when you, you used to be left home alone as a kid or as a teenager? Your parents were like, do not open the door for anybody. Do not open the door to that stranger. Nobody. You're not home if somebody knocks on the door. Mm-hmm. Right? That's your stranger danger. This is your new front door, the cell phone yeah. and your tablets and uh, your electronic devices in your house are your new front door because it connects you to any corner of the world and predators know that. And your your kids are not going to be snatched off the street and put into a trafficking situation. They are going to be lured and groomed through their social media, through their gaming systems, through all of the means that traffickers are using online. It's all the means that your kids are using to entertain themselves. And so when traffickers do get online and if the social media is open or um, it's set to where you can communicate on those gaming systems, they are looking for a vulnerability. They're looking for those teens that are lost, that are insecure, and that have a void that needs to be filled. And then that trafficker, that predator comes in and they, 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 they fill it. They become that friend. They learn about the child, the teen. They learn what music they like. They learn what games they play. And then they become friends. And they become somebody that, that's that that child can trust and then they start to groom and further manipulate where they start introducing um you know a desensitization to sexual content and move them forward this could take months i've seen it take years um and those teens end up walking right out their front door they become runaways they're gone It's a long, yeah, it's a long game for these traffickers. You know, I mean, I I always equate them to kind of being like a CIA um, spy or agent as people like when they're recruiting a source, they're whining and dining them and they're, they're pulling them in, pulling them in. And then the next thing you know, they're working, you know, they're working for the country and stuff. These traffickers to me seem to be experts, master manipulators, and they have, from what I understand, like a ton of different games going on at the same time. Person over here, person over here, person over here, and they're just keep, you know, because it's a stable. And there are these victims who eventually, hopefully, can become survivors are a commodity to them. It's a dollar sign. And that's one thing I really want to get into is like, how much are we looking, how much are they making off of, you know, the, the going rate for uh, victimizing. 
because I want to see how profit is for these. Why it's so profitable? There's there's a a great study that was done, but it's it's outdated. That I think it was done by the Urban Institute to show um, what pimps were making, um, like per city. And so they chose like multiple cities. I think like Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, and the studies out there. It's pretty interesting of how much they make like a week. And some of these traffickers, these pimps, were making eighteen thousand dollars a week kind of thing they were just stacking the cash and it even breaks it down to but it's outdated mind you um probably i think it's almost been 10 years now since they did the study oh geez yeah and they will they talk about how they advertise their victims and how they're sold and so it's a geographical thing uh, where the victims are being sold and where the traffickers are working is how much money um, you can you can get per hour per victim. So like I live in the Albuquerque, New Mexico area, and because you know the cost of living is a lot lower here, uh, you'll find victims that are more desperate, so they'll sell themselves for less to get more more attention from the purchasers, and the traffickers will just make them sell themselves more throughout the day. So like hundred and twenty dollars for an hour sometimes. Uh, depending on how desperate the, you know, the victim is. And then if you go to like Miami or you go to a bigger city uh, where, you know, cost of living is higher, you have tourist income, more disposable income from the purchasers, the price goes up anywhere from like two to $300 an hour. Uh, You know, and that's, it, it just depends where you're at. And so what the traffickers do though is, they move their product around. They have them on something called a circuit. Um, they go from city to city and they only stay there for a certain amount of time because they're trying to, you know, they have to bring in their products as more fresh products coming through to make more money. And so they'll run these circuits and uh, they know where they're going. They know what money they're going to make. They know how to advertise and uh, they, they just, they know the system. It is a business model for these pimps, for these traffickers. And they're really, really good at it, unfortunately. And they're good at it because they've scaled it with technology for the recruiting stage, manipulation, even grooming technology, exposing their their victims to certain pornography and different things and showing them how they're supposed to act and then how they sell them using that technology. And so Deliver Fund fights them with their own technology, right? That's how we're going to how we're going to take them out is fight them with their own game, their own technology. They're going to touch the internet. We're we're going to find them. (laughs) We're going to get into deliver fun here in a few. Uh, We're laying the groundwork because you guys are, your work is incredible. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of things I want to really tout about your organization compared to other ones out there. Uh, But first I want to talk about the Johns and is that a correct word for them now? I mean, Johns, I'm, I'm damn near 50 years old. John's been the name for them since as long as I can remember. Is that the current name for those, those who buy and purchase uh, illicit sex? It's still the current term, John's. I I use purchasers um, because I, I sometimes feel really bad for people with the name of John. So yeah. <laughs> I'll use purchasers or John's. Uh, it's both correct terminology. Is that kind of the root where we get at it? is some way to 
say, hey, you know what? We need to put up a wall between the John and really raising awareness of saying, hey, you know what? You're not using a quote unquote, you know, someone willingly prostituting themselves. Uh, you're using a victim. You're victimizing. You are the root cause because you're the one paying. So there's a study out there uh, that I've broken it down on my social media before that 20% of American males in their lifetime will have purchased sex. And then 6% of American males actively have purchased sex in the last 365 days, roughly. So 6% of men that you come across have purchased sex within the last year. Now, it's an important tool to be able to go after the demand side because the demand does drive this. If there weren't men that purchased sex, then there wouldn't be traffickers that knew that they could make money off of them. But the demand is so huge. And the penalties against Johns are so minor. In most places, it's a slap on the wrist, a mugshot, and a fine. It's not anything that is detrimental to them, hardly at all. In many jurisdictions, they don't even shame them. They don't require any kind of restoration in court. Uh, some jurisdictions are really great, and like they court order them to go get certain counselings and different things for sex addictions. But fighting the demand is like trying to stop a train with a BB gun. <laughs> You're going to shoot at it all day long, but it's never going to stop and it's never it's never going to end, unfortunately. The demand is so huge. To put it in perspective, um, I sometimes will post um, decoy ads online for operations like law enforcement would do. And I'm assisting law enforcement in something. I'll do that. And even in a lower based population area like New Mexico, you can post a decoy ad. And within two hours, you have 400 responses, right? Think about that in other major metropolitan areas. It just never stops. The phone just never stops dinging of the demand, right? So you've got to go after this at the head, right? Cut the head off of the snake, which is the trafficker themselves, which also, you know, keeps which there's legitimate sex workers out there that are 100% independent. Um, so not going after the, the sex workers is very important in that aspect. Um, and then also, you know, not penalizing victims by arresting them. We don't want to do that. That's the other way. Um, so I would love, I would love it if we could just go after the demand and take out these guys that are purchasing sex. But uh, you, I you mean, brought up a... it's much more effective to go after the trafficker. Now, the analogy of taking shooting a BB gun at a train is is absolutely correct. And when you put it in that context, you're like, yeah, huh? Because you know when like I've been in law enforcement forever now, twenty uh, something years, and I'm I'm always thinking about it. Like you know, uh, how do you attack the problem? You look at it that way, but you need experts like you to tell us, hey, you know what? You really got to go after the root cause. One thing about going after that root cause is. You know, it's a lot easier to get a drug dealer when they have a pound of cocaine in their hand. And you're like, ah, okay, there we go. We got you. But going after a trafficker um, when that commodity is another human being. And then, like you said before, the long game, these these victims are have this must have this sense of servitude 
the sense of I owe them. I'm not going to, it's my word against them. And oh, by the way, if I say anything against them, I have the fear of violence, the fear of retribution and everything. What's the, let's talk about that. I mean, like, what's the game plan? So when you're going after a human trafficker, um, the most effective way to do it is do it proactively, figure out who this person is, figure out how they're perpetuating their crime, get all of the intelligence ahead of time, and then go in after them, um, figure out who they're trafficking as well. Because with human trafficking, to prosecute it, um, it's, it's unfortunate to prosecute human trafficking, you have to do it through an aspect where you have to use the evidence against them, which is the victim themselves. And these victims are traumatized beyond reality, like nothing that any of us can comprehend. I know I couldn't comprehend it. We uh, at Deliver Fund, we work with survivors and take their take their knowledge and soak it in to understand it. But, you know, the, these victims that are rescued um, or more like recovered or put in contact with law enforcement uh, you know, they're rape victims. Some of them have drug addiction. Some of them have domestic violence. Uh, the other, you know, they're kidnapping victims. It's all rolled into one. And so for them to testify against their trafficker, it's very difficult. So it's important to get as much intelligence as possible that doesn't necessarily involve the, the victim themselves. So their digital footprints or their financial footprints because taking those finances that are made off of their victim and you put that into a bank account, that's money laundering mm-hmm. um, on a federal Follow level. Follow the money. Follow, follow the, money. the money. Right. So finding ways to go after the human trafficker themselves and have an overwhelming amount of intelligence that law enforcement could create into evidence to hand to that prosecutor is in a very important way to make sure these traffickers are held accountable and make it easier on the survivor in the long run and ensure that she has the proper services, ensure that she is uh, mentally prepared to go through what she has to go through in court. Um, I think we all know that defense attorneys uh, are a pain and they don't, they don't care about that victim. They're going to do anything to discredit her. And so that's also why it's important to ensure that uh, law enforcement has the proper expert with witnesses and the information and studies and intelligence provided to them. So when they do go into court, they just have a solid round case that they can go into knowing that that trafficker will be put away. And in most cases, especially with the cases deliver fund assistance, there's so much digital intelligence that's been turned into evidence, they end up playing out because like literally everything is connected. Their fingerprints is all over, like it's all over it. And although the victim still has to testify, it's, it's pretty, pretty damning <laughs> when you stand in front of a jury or a judge going, Oh, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. And they're like, but really look at this. This is, this is all you like, you can't hide from that. Kara, you know, your background and like we've, we've been pinging social media and I've, I've been in contact with you before, but a lot of the deliver fund backgrounds are incredible. And one thing I want to say right off the bat about deliver fund, it's not a vigilante organization. It's not a direct action organization. 
it's Intel based, it's research based, and it's also, like you said before, talking to survivors, building digital footprints, building data packages that law enforcement can use. You have a military background in Intel. A lot of the people come from agency, soft community, and everything. Let's talk about Deliver Fund. Let's let's. What is Deliver Fund, and and why should we care? And I know that's blunt, but the thing is, a lot of people are like, "Well, there's so many nonprofits out there. So many this, so many that. Why should we care? I care, but why should everybody else care?" Deliver Fund is a nonprofit private intelligence firm that equips, trains, and advises law enforcement to combat human trafficking here in the United States. Our backgrounds, like you're saying, uh, they come from a special forces background, such as the Navy SEALs. Our co-founder, Jeremy Mayhew, was a SEAL. Our um, executive director, Nick McKinley, was Air Force Pararescue turned CIA. Uh, Myself, I was Air Force uh, Intelligence. I was a SIGINTER. Um, and I worked out of the NSA and then worked out of the NSA again as a civilian and then moved on to do FBI watch listing. Uh, we also have retired law enforcement that have worked for years and years in the uh, ICAC community, Internet Crimes Against Children. And what we've done is we've taken our methodologies of how we were hunting terrorists overseas and move them over to counter human trafficking. So we we were so good at fighting terrorism. We learned um, the technologies we needed, the processes that we used. And when we figured out like what is going on in the United States with human trafficking and that there's no three letter agency dedicated to human trafficking, we have three letter agencies dedicated to completely legal substances um, such as the ATF and the DEA, just 100% focused on that, but nobody 100% focuses on human trafficking. And then we realized why, because it's the boots on the ground. It's the local law enforcement. It's the state agencies that are fighting this problem who are extremely under-resourced, under-trained, and underfunded. And we're like, we're going to fix that. We're going to make one centralized place where they can contact to communicate on a digital platform. Let's, let's take uh, a, we're also going to train them. Let's take a pause right there. Because you said the three-letter agency. And everybody knows me, knows I used to work for the DHS human smuggling cells. 13, 14 people that are supposed to, 13 or 14 people at the headquarters level that are supposed to stop the pandemic, well, not, I can't call it a pandemic anymore, but the epidemic of the children coming across the border. Let's talk about funding. Um, years ago, I had my own OSTEF case, Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force case, where if I needed funding and resource and everything, I can go to the panel and say, I need money. Um, we have HIDA. I worked for HIDA for a while, High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. We have this, we have that, we have all these task forces and stuff. It comes down to boots on the ground, money, task force of the right people. You don't need the bargain basement people in these task forces. You don't need to be like, hey, guys, uh, we need uh, we got an extra body around here. Send them over to the, the trafficking task force. You need dedicated people who are passionate about it, who want to be in it, and then are going to have the resources and backing. We, we, we talked before about following the money. Anything with the government. If you're not showing money and seizures and you're not bringing that money in, i.e. you're not seizing assets of the traffic, traffickers and everything, it's not, a big, it's not a big deal. The reality is 
when you're going to get congressional funding and everything, you have to show that you're bringing in things. That's why when you looked at victims and everything, you and I are passionate about it. I'd say, you know, you're going to find a high percentage of people that are passionate about it. But when it comes out at the end of the day, cutting a check, it's it's a pain in the ass. That's that's the reality of it. That's why I would like to see these conversations and conversations with Deliver Fund saying, hey, you know what? We need federal resources. If we're throwing a trillion dollars at, at a war or, or a trillion dollars here or a trillion dollars there or a billion dollars or whatever, we could start a, a right non-bureaucratic type organization or task force to do it and, and start really doing it because these are real victims and these victims become survivors. We could put the traffickers in jail. Um, that's great. We could plaster Johns all over the all over the news and and shame them. But we also need the tail end of that is the victims who turn and make them become survivors. So let's let's talk about your your contact with the survivors and and talk about some of the stories you've seen because that's really where we could use a lot of these uh you know, I'm going to get off my my totem here for a second, but the DOJ has the victim witness coordinators and all the other victim programs. Let's really talk about trafficking victims. So I'm going to throw you for a loop real quick. And I really want to talk about the federal level. <laughs> um, I'll get to, I'll get to the survivors. I'll get to the victims, but on the federal level, everybody's like, well, there's FBI task forces. There's Marshall task forces. There's uh, department of Homeland security, HSI task forces that, that combat trafficking. I'm like, yes, there are. And there's some amazing agents out there that care. And they will go after the smaller level trafficking, which is the predominance of it all. It's a lot of lower, lower level happening all over the place by what these traffickers who think they're entrepreneurs who are working, working the circuit. And you've got some really, really great agents. One of my closest um, law enforcement par partners, the longest law enforcement partner with the Lawyer Fund is a HSI agent. And he's absolutely amazing. He he won um, Agent of the Year two years in a row in his area. Amazing guy. And um, he cares. But for him to really do operations and for HSI to actually fund them to do something, he has to show how they're connected to drugs, they're connected to guns. He's like, so I've got this hotel for you. <laughs> like he has to make it big when the real impact he's always made are his lower level, lower level wins and going after the smaller traffickers. But why does the government care when it's just seizing $2,000? They want houses and they want yachts and other things to seize. And although Homeland Security is involved, um, and they they even set head up like a headquarters. DHS has now a headquarters for counter trafficking. They're going after those big overseas networks that do exist, but not necessarily focusing on the predominant issue in the U.S. And then also we saw a lot of funding go towards human trafficking uh, last year, millions and millions of dollars going towards survivors, which is very important. But that's throwing money to triage the battlefield, to put cotton and, and quick clot, you know, into the wounds. Like, let's let's fix that. We need the federal government to fund the artillery to stop it from even happening. Because if you stop it from even happening, you don't have to have the restoration and the money being thrown at the survivors because we don't want 
we don't want to even have to have victims in the first place to have to clean that up. Right. Yep. And so, think about it this way. You have the FBI has the, uh, like the high intensity type, not the FBI, but the ATF. Hey, you know what? We got to go where we're going to, and the DEA does this too, where they, they just crash a neighborhood, take the drugs and guns at the street level off the thing. And that's, I think a, a federal working with state and locals, because they are the true, the true warriors on the ground. No offense to all the feds out there because there's a bunch of you here and there, but the true warriors on the ground and and canvas and hit these areas, these high traffic areas, and go after the street level traffickers and charge them federally. Can't get them on a fed charge. That's why you have your state and locals and you get them on a state charge. It's the only thing. Oh, it drives me nuts. Once you bring in the money thing, it just drives me nuts. Because when I did the OSIDF thing, the big conference I went to was like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to learn a bunch. And all it was about was an AUSA, because this is how the reality is. You can have a great agent, like you said. You have an agent, and he, he can't find an international nexus with HSI, and it can't bring it to a big case. Who cares? The U.S. Attorney's Office doesn't care. They have a backlog right now of a million cases, and they're like, well, um, huh. And let's talk about attorneys for a second. The assistant U.S. attorney's office, a lot of them, you have really good people in there, but some really are in there to get good stats and move on to the private sector. So that's the reality. And in order, you can make all the arrests in the world, but if you don't have them prosecuted at the end of the day, those arrests don't mean anything. It's And it's... Oh, it's hard to watch. Uh, it's something you have to understand in the counter human trafficking world. We can assist law enforcement all day and build these super strong cases um, and watch that law enforcement officer just do amazing work. And they hand it to those, those attorneys and they're like, but I can get them on a gun charge. <laughs> and it's like, what? And it's because they want that win so that they can move up. And so I mean, there has to be a complete reform of also the judicial system on how we, you know, have these attorneys that are incentivized by just wins. And they know that human trafficking cases are so hard because of these survivors. They are so hard to put on a stand and some are just downright scared to do it because they haven't done it before. And they're just trying to move up, which I mean, we all are right? In life, we're all trying to get to where we want to go in our careers. And you can't blame them because that's the system that they have been um, indoctrinated into. Yeah. So it's, it's super, super hard to watch, but we keep, we keep fighting and we keep assisting. Fight, the best but that's that the thing can. is fighting and not giving up, having conversations, having open conversations and not beating around a bush, just like this, raising awareness. There's a whole big, this whole system it's a lot of it's broken, but there's a lot of really good pieces and a lot of really good people out there that want to fix it and raising awareness. And I always people like, oh, raising awareness, human trafficking, bad. But the thing is, if you don't know, it's really just educating. I should say it more is we're not just raising awareness. We're educating on you. And for the people out there, this is kind of like just a snapshot of what's going on with the liver fund. This is just episode one of many to come kind of giving you a broad stroke overview of what the liver fund does little bit of what's going on in the trafficking world, but we have many, many more shows to happen. And I know you're really crunched for time because believe it or not, Kara's actually taking time out of her incredible day of just 
crunching computer crap and driving herself crazy with frustration. But on top of that, I tell us about a win. I we can't end this conversation today without a win. A win. Oh gosh. Um, here's a good one. Uh, the liver fund was working a operation in Florida with a county sheriff's office uh, around a large event, right? And the technology that we have when we work with law enforcement, um, their cases are put into pass the platform for analysis of targeted human traffickers. So we had two analysts on the ground in Florida working, right? And they're doing what they do and they bring in, um, law enforcement brings them in. We helped with the intelligence, a, uh, a victim who was a minor. And when they finally get the information out of her and hit it into the system, it glows. And it's like, there's already a case on her. There's already a case on her trafficker. And it goes back to another state where uh, we work really closely with the law enforcement there. And it turned into pick up the phone. And within an hour of that victim having been contacted by law enforcement during this operation, the liver fund was able to connect the two agencies and straight out the detective from the other state flew out there to work the case. And not only is that trafficker going to be charged on a state charge in two separate states, but he's also going to receive his federal penalties as well for moving a minor and selling her across state lines. Bring on that man act, right? So the communication, the collaboration not only recovered a victim that day, but uh, also ensured trafficker is probably never, ever going to see the light of day again. That is exactly how we're going to end this conversation because there are people out there. And if you're a trafficker, and I hope you're listening to this and I hope you're watching because I don't want this just to go out to parents and law enforcement and those in a community that care. I want the traffickers to know that there are people hunting you, people exactly like Kara, people with incredible backgrounds who have done more than you here and abroad. Uh, they're smarter than you and they will find you. You will be caught. You will be prosecuted and the victims will be saved. And if you're a victim out there, know that people are out there looking for you. People are out there willing to help you. There is help out there. It may not come from the federal government. Don't let that sway you. Don't let any of our conversations sway you about that. But if you are a victim, you can become a survivor. This isn't just a one conversation. This isn't just your end state doesn't have to be in the hands of a trafficker. People out there care about you. Don't worry about that. You have help. Find it. Check out the Liver Fund. Kara, you and the team are doing incredible things. I am very excited to have you back on a show very soon and have the rest of the crew on the show as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for your dedication and your service uh, to our country through the military and through law enforcement. Uh, Deliver Fund wouldn't have a job without law enforcement to uh, work with. Uh, Law enforcement are the true heroes out there. They're the ones, the boots on the ground, and we are just honored to be able to support them every day.